the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a podcast to help you get through the start of the week. That's Time right. For some pre-Sunday happy by the end, I guess. <laughs> hey, Emily. <laughs> I uh, obviously I have uh, a severe cold this week, and so my <laughs> voice is a little bit deeper. Uh, I do want to say hello to all the listeners. Uh, I am uh, Matt Harmon. I'm delighted to be on as a, a guest this week with Jim. Um, I'm assuming that, uh, Jim have been falling on the grenade for the topic for this week, uh, Sunday morning. I'll, I'll take the grenade, uh, for hosting tonight, <laughs> today. So yeah, it's good to be here. First Thank- time, first time listener, long time listener, first time host. There we go. And not everybody gets to say that. So Matt, I'm grateful that, that, that you're jumping in and yeah, given the, given the topic of this past Sunday's sermon, nothing against Emily, but Matt, I think these are some issues that inhabit our headspace as pastors, maybe a little bit more than, than, than Emily for all of her strengths. And so it made sense to call in uh, an old friend as a guest host this week. Yeah, glad to be here. And um, she did a great job. Uh, look forward to diving in here today. Um, this is something I've tried to tackle a couple of years ago and uh, know that it's pretty tricky to do from the pulpit. So many things you're trying to cover and do well. So yeah, glad to be yeah. here and walk through it. I'm glad you're here too. Let's join in. Uh, Okay. Call it Stormy Monday. Jim, why this sermon? Why this Sunday? (laughs) Tell me about the Represence Initiative. I want to hear about that. (laughs) Oh, man. I I had a note here that I would begin talking about the section with the Represence Initiative. So we're already (laughs) simpatico. Yeah, Liberty Collingswood, uh, Matt, as as you may have heard, and I hope as people at Liberty Church Collingswood especially have heard, we're starting a two-year process called the Represence Initiative, basically to relaunch our church into a post-COVID and post-Christian world. And one of the things, Matt, that we're talking about as part of the Represence Initiative is third-way walk and worldview. So we Mm. want to be followers of Jesus that are resilient, beholden neither to the secular right nor the secular left, but following Jesus as its own thing. And this is one of those worldview sermons that just felt like the, the, the right time to, to tackle. One, one thing about worldview, and Matt, you're at Liberty Mainline now. You, you came from a different context than the one you're, you're currently in, as did I. At least for me, at my previous church context, this was in Texas, I was a little scared of worldview thinking and discipleship because it so often became so incredibly politicized. And so mm. talking about worldview instantly would just start all these political arguments at church that I didn't really have that, 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 that much energy for. So I interpreted gospel-centered ministry in such a way as to say, hey, we don't need to talk about things that are going to divide us. There are secondary issues. We just need to focus on the gospel of Jesus crucified and resurrected, good news for us and for our world. But whether it's a context shift geographically or just in terms of time, as 
nothing is neutral uh, in terms of, of worldview. I, I feel more of a need than I used to, to hopefully still be gospel central, but build out a little bit uh, to try to equip our people because they are being inundated by worldview discipleship pretty much every second of their waking lives at this point. So yeah, what's, what's your take on worldview? Oh yeah, I, that's something that um, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, offline and sure. how, um, yeah, there was this kind of previous generation of ministry that uh, I think tried to recenter Christ in the gospel mm-hmm. by avoiding contentious political issues. Right, um, and you just can't do that because everything's contentious and everything's politicized, and uh, so you definitely we we have to think about discipleship more holistically now mm-hmm. um, and we can't like there's you can't avoid the contentious issues because they're all contentious <laughs> yes it, exactly right so so on our our show notes for these different sections call it story monday met you you mentioned the the why the sermon this sunday another follow-up question in this section is what were you excited to see God do with your message this week? I was not excited at all in any way, shape, or form for this for, for this sermon. So talking about issues of transgender identification and, and gender deconstruction, in a big picture way, I continue to feel the weight of, and I've heard it called, I think it was by a Christian pastor and, and teacher in Australia, uh, named Mark Sayers. I first heard him use the phrase, the, the Western sexual empire or sexual hegemony, where mm. especially on, on the coasts here in the US, uh, th- there is a secular company line when it comes to gender and sexuality that feels pretty monolithic. You, you can lose your job uh, based on what one uh, thinks about these things. Uh, another um, pastor that I listened to that I think is, has spoken well to some of these issues. John Mark Comer, pastor in Portland. He's given the illustration this way. And so he's, he's a guy in his, I think, early forties. So, you know, somebody in the prime of his life, Matt, as, as we both know, just getting exactly. started. <laughs> exactly. Beginning of the best years. That's right. We're all, uh, we're all TB12 in our own mind, but the, the, uh, creaky, pr- the creaky prime. That's right. Yep. Second win. So, so he said that when he was growing up and he grew up in a Christian household, went to some sort of secular high school, I think, maybe a public school. And he didn't, you know, make a, make a brand out of it or trumpet it around, but his secular friends knew that he was planning on holding off on sexual activity until he got married to a woman later on, later on in life. Uh, And in that context, John Mark Comer said that he got made fun of and teased for that sort of attitude and stance. But he said, even in the midst of the getting made fun of and being teased, there is a grudging respect for that sexual ideal. So, okay, you're going to be the good one and do the right thing. And yeah, yeah, everybody knows that we're not supposed to have premarital sex, but we're not going to, we don't think we can handle that. So yeah, Mark, you just take a bullet for the team right now. But that whole paradigm has totally shifted. I guess this would have been high school in the nineties for John Mark Comer, where somebody having that same attitude today is not seen as a paragon of sexual virtue, but in fact, the opposite. So things have changed super quickly. Yeah. Even to the point where I think a lot of people would view that as unhealthy. 
Um, I think that's a common thing that's in the atmosphere. Yeah, we've, and you mentioned, I think in the sermon, just how quickly things have changed. There's a sense, I don't know what your, your feeling was, I I guess it was 2015, the Oprah Mm -hmm. Bell versus Hodges decision. There was, for me being in college in the nineties, that wasn't really surprising to me at all. I kind of, I guess there's part of me that felt like that was sort of inevitable, Mm -hmm. but the speed with which, um, cultural sexual norms moved from sort of settling that issue right uh, as a secular orthodoxy and then proceeded so rapidly um, to transgender activism and rights mm-hmm. um, I was I I was surprised to the degree which that became an issue very quickly and very centrally in our, our culture and society so yeah glad that glad that you uh, jumped into this. I guess last thing I'll call it story by mm-hmm. Monday. What was God doing in you last week um, besides fear and trembling as you were <laughs> getting ready for the sermon? <laughs> uh, there was there was a lot of that. So towards the end of last week, I, I had trouble praying, and I don't, you know, this I don't think there was a satanic attack going on. But sometimes, and maybe Matt, this has happened to you at different points in ministry when you're just too nervous to like center yourself and pray. So I had to modify my normal prayer rhythms devotionally and i just reverted to a lot more like liturgical prayers Mm. and daily office stuff because like Mm. free prayer just became like my anxiety hurt locker (laughs) it wasn't really yeah (laughs) connecting with god in any way uh or or you know helping myself in any discernible discernible form but i also feel feel the weight of of these issues i mentioned in the sermon that you know there's you know multiple things a lot of strong feelings about gender norms, transgender identification. There's a lot of trauma caused by the church with, with these things that that's real. And so many of these subsets of issues, there are a lot of new, they require a lot of nuance and a lot of both. And so if at a conceptual level, at least for my part in Matt, we probably don't need to go into this, but, but I'm becoming a little wary of, what I've started to call trauma culture, where everything mm, is, yeah, where, sure. where, where everything is trauma and trauma is the trump card, no pun intended in terms of like, that's, you know, if, if there's any whiff of trauma, just like, that's the, the red cord on the septa bus that you can pull and, you know, you have to walk away because it stopped everything. So if I'm wary at one level of trauma culture and a big picture, like where is our world going? Uh, there genuinely is a lot of trauma caused to transgender men and women, gender fluid caused by the church and the assault on transgender people is real. And the suicide rates are, are shocking. So mm, yeah. I, I, I do feel shocking and sad. So, so I do feel burdened that we need to talk about these things and with how quickly things are changing, the sermon text was, and we'll talk about this in the Sun Studios next section. So God created man in his own in image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Uh, it would have felt disingenuine or disingenuous to me to preach this passage and not talk about transgender issues this time around, just because they're, they're so front and center. But they're, if they're front and center, they're also fraught. And it's just, it would be so much easier for me as a Christian and a pastor, either to fall into the yes or the yuck paradigm where yeah, yeah. the, okay, let's just, let's just get on board. I guess this is what we're doing, where we're going. 
let's let's think a little less critically from a scriptural perspective or like oh that's just weird uh, freaks me out a little bit let's not talk about it so trying to trying to navigate the fraught middle on such a thing yeah. Well, that's a good example of like cultural, knowing the cultural context, um, you know, how many generations of pastors would just glide past being made male and female um, right. because it was not culturally contested. And um, as you, as you kind of dug into the passage, I think mm -hmm. later in the sermon, you made the comment about how biblical reflection has not necessarily caught up with um, some sort of lived reality in the moment. Um mm -hmm. Did you feel that as you were preparing the passage or what stuck, what struck out, stuck out to you as you were digging into that passage? And you, you mentioned a couple other passages as well. Mm -hmm. So it is funny. I, for me, I, I'm somebody that uses, try to, tries to use newer commentaries when I preach. So, you know, different pastors mileage varies there's some people that will not preach a sermon without having a calvin or a luther on on the shelf to to consult but my my mojo at this point and part of this is a time efficiency i try to use newer commentaries that are well researched some more right leaning some more left leaning but are equally conversant with a broad tradition of scriptural interpretation before that and then also mm -hmm. with interpretations on on the contemporary horizon so I, I go to indexes when when mm. I'm thinking about a commentary to to see who's who's quoted. Not so I can just find my own greatest hits on there, but but to see what wells they're drawing from. Through the mid two thousands and the commentaries that I looked at on this passage, transgenderism was not talked about at all. So mm. so as as late as ten or fifteen years ago, it was off the radar for Genesis one twenty seven and commentaries to engage these issues at all. So I. Mm -hmm. I do, I do see basic biblical clarity on these issues, but because of the fact that transgender identification truly is a broad spectrum, there's just not a, that where, where I feel a lack is not, is less on biblical clarity, not, not that you're applying otherwise, Matt, but the, the pastoral toolbox, I think has, has, has yet to be built in a yeah in, in, in a robust way so the one way to interpret my sermon from sunday was me trying to navigate the tension of biblical exegesis and interpretation with a meager pastoral toolbox yeah yeah so um do you want to like double click on that at all because i do feel like you know you, I feel like in a situation like this, it's topical. Mm -hmm. You might be able to dive into some systematic theologies, although I'm not sure that many of those even would like expand right. out gender specifically with regard to transgender. You know, there's some there's some newer theological works, but I also feel like those are kind of rough and early. Yep. And so, how would you how do you talk how do you think through um, the combination of, say, biblical truth and categories of biblical worldview, but matching that with pastoral approach? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good question. I don't have a great answer for it, Matt, <laughs> beyond the fact that I'll preach a sermon twice as long as I usually do. To a lot of, a lot of qualifications right, to, uh, to, 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 to try to balance out. And so... I think, I think I feel comfortable at the level of example. 
and so, so, so the sermon can it contained, I think, some examples, but then also, yeah, that. So, so for example, and and this is something for elder boards for consistories to to think about. Uh, what if there's a just to throw out an example, what, what if there's somebody in Liberty Youth, a boy who prefers to dress like a woman, uh, but does not want to do gender transition and is saying, yeah, I, I want to marry a woman someday. Um, so so I, identifying as, as a heterosexual boy that says, but still, you know, men are different from men. And yeah, I'm just not going to dress like a like a normal boy, and in fact, I'm going to dress like a girl. Uh, what mm. does <laughs> what what does youth volunteer Bob or Sandy? <laughs> um, uh, and so, like like that's something that doesn't you know neat, neatly fit into or it it fits within broad categories, but the broad categories don't necessarily have a level of pastoral specificity enough um, to to be able to you know, give a, give a quick and easy answer, but the, the comforting thing in two directions, Matt, one, I think there is basic biblical clarity. And secondly, you know, I want to be the type of pastor that doesn't freak out when there are quick and when there aren't quick and easy, you know, pastoral answers. And the older I get in pastoral ministry, this is something that, uh, that Eric Mitchell and I tease each other about a little bit. So, so Eric makes fun of me as being, Mr. Case by case basis with pastoral care, <laughs> and and Eric is somebody you know. Hopefully, one personality is not better than the other, but dispositionally, he's more comfortable with rubrics and policies. But I'm sure on the end of this spectrum that says like cases, pastoral cases are individual enough anyway that you know we can spend. And Eric doesn't press hard in this direction, but you know even if we have a policy, we're going to have to interpret it creatively based on the yeah. based on the specific situation. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of prayer, patience and conversation on the ground. Yeah, I had an elder who um, every topic that came up was you know the follow-up question was this sets the precedent for the next thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um move, maybe moving into I, I would love to double click on that, but I won't. Yeah, That's yeah. <laughs> That's our after Moving hours. Money in the waters. I think we've anticipated this a little bit, but you know, I actually you mentioned about what you enjoyed, and I actually underlined what was fun <laughs> in terms of putting the the message together. Right. <clears throat> One thing that I mean, even just I uh, listened through, and I listened to the podcast, and I usually listen to audio only, and mm-hmm. um, I intentionally watched uh, the sermon, oh, okay, um, because I felt like with a difficult topic um, not just voice but presence mm-hmm. is also sure. important yeah <clears throat> so <clears throat> i did think it was just interesting to watch you deliver and um to see the balance that you were trying to demonstrate um and i definitely think uh that you matched uh, a tone and compassion as you were coming through in and i guess that's delivery but that was also built on like sermon construction mm-hmm. um and so yeah i guess as you put that together what was what was difficult apart from trying to figure out what to squeeze into those two hours right so one one difficulty and this relates back just for a second matt to the sun studio's presence of the lord wanting to give enough of a biblical foundation like i could have preached for an hour just about biblical foundation for 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 gender i i kind of did a flyover and so one challenge was okay i think we have male and female he created them as a basic binarism 
but then touched on Old Testament law is, is deeply gendered. Jesus reaffirms mm. the gender pattern in Matthew 19. I hadn't seen in any of the literature, but I think it is significant that Jesus doesn't deny that gender will occur in the new heavens and new earth and the passage about Sadducees asking Jesus in the resurrection. And then Paul talking about your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6 to me mm. has not direct, it doesn't directly speak to this set of issues, but I think it's not a huge gap or jump to to say that it has bearing so one one challenge was um wanting to wanting to to do right by the scriptures and leave people with enough of a with enough of a picture that they feel like hey i can study this more but but i never want to preach a sermon where it sounds like biblically otherwise the pastor is trying to pull a fast one on the congregation where like the uh pastor says we could uh or yeah, I, I won't say who, but Matt, there's somebody in our past where we were both listening to a preacher who said like, hey, but we can talk a lot more, but I could go into a lot more detail about this, but I'll choose not to right now. But we both thought like, I actually don't think that pastor can go into a lot more detail. <laughs> I think he is totally, to totally out of his depth right now. It is, it Stall, is right, distract, pa deflect. papering over it. Um, but then the the flip so, so wanting to do well by the scriptures and then a couple other parts wanting to grace so wanting to caveat the complex realities on the ground balanced with deconstructing some larger thought patterns and cultural patterns and i think that mm. the challenge is i don't want the i didn't want the latter to be we weaponized in the direction of the former so like i I get that these are issues that are deeply felt by people that are thinking about gender transitioning. And so if I'm talking about Rousseau and Marx and Freud, I don't want to feel like they're beat, being beaten up by all of these other, these other figures. But, but I think there is, there is space to deconstruct some of these, some of these secular paradigms, uh, whether it's uh, my suspicion that gender transition can be a little can be rushed into and in that I'm not sure that the jury is out in terms of of scientifically uh, that the part about how we construct identities and like are there consistent identity construction patterns between different subgroups of secular progressivism yeah and still wanting to to say that there there is a deep novelty in terms of how we how we construct our identities uh, right right now with 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 these new paradigm have Matt have have you read the Truman book the the uh, rise what's the title the rise of the modern self rise and triumph of the modern self right yeah, yeah. No, it's on it's on the shelf it's a it's an imminent must read there we go yeah it's it, it's really good probably not popular level so but it, but it, but I think for pastors that need to jump into these things it's it it's pretty important. Yeah. Um, I think he's working on like a more popular level volume. That would be like a condensation of it. Okay, nice. Yeah. I, and I think that that would be really worth kind of putting in people's hands. So trying trying to deconstruct the expressive individualism so that for somebody who is thinking about a gender transition or is identifying along the transgender spectrum, what on one hand feels very freely and importantly chosen on the other hand is actually pretty deeply enculturated and of this mm. moment at the same time, which doesn't take away the felt experience of that person, 
but things are things are going in this direction like that going back to the sexual empire and Matt, i promise to stop blabbing after this um, <laughs> uh the uh one of the things that I cut out of the sermon, there, there was just, the sermon was more heavily edited, I think, than any sermon that I've preached in the past sure. few years. Oh, of course. So constantly adding stuff and taking stuff away. There, so if, if the jury is out scientifically about long-term effects of gender transition, there, there is a body of literature and research, I think, that says that for adolescents that are experiencing gender dysphoria, as they're encouraged to lean into how they would choose to identify themselves apart from their birth genders, they move into places of psychological peace and health. Okay. Um, yeah. And so my, my question about that, and this relates to the sexual empire piece. So if there are statistics that say that people are more comfortable as they're encouraged along transgender identification lines, I just wonder if that's the full story. And this is not to criticize the individual people, but like picture how that works here on the coasts where say I'm a 12 year old boy that thinks I'm actually my, my true gender is, is a woman and I'm in a counselor's office and I see on social media and on TikTok gender transitions being celebrated and right. the, yeah. And I'm lonely, depressed, and anxious. It's suggested to me by my counselor. Have you thought about, you know, gender dysphoria? And I'll say, maybe I make a comment or two about, yeah, and sometimes I'm not even sure if I'm a boy. It's followed right. up, followed up by the counselor who over a series of conversations says, hey, we can put you in touch with doctors and it will be on you to do a lot of hard work, but we will support and celebrate you through this transition such that you will be you, you will find a new world of community and support that otherwise you haven't found yet and we have a high degree of confidence that if you do this very brave thing hmm. you'll you'll be in a better place so at what point right. at what point does that become a self-fulfilling prophecy at least a little bit right where where even a statistic about, you know, more health comes with gender fluid identifications and gender transitions. Like, I still wonder because the sexual empire is so, so ascendant that is there, is there more to the story um, than, than what, what's on the ground? Yeah. You know, think about context that we are in, like there's this, this huge overarching context where I think gender is definitely like entirely contested. Right. And there's all of these competing valorized visions and problematized visions. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really hard to navigate that. And you put that on top of adolescent years where you're, you're trying to sort out your own identity. Right. Um, and the, the standard, the idea that um, my personal identity, I, I have to like excavate that from within myself and mm -hmm. there's no external props that I can rely on. Right. Um, I, you know, we, we assume that that's liberating um, when in reality that could be for some people, it could be soul crushingly depressing that I have to stand out in the crowd. I have to figure out who I am and I, and that there aren't any props to mm -hmm. rely on. 
Um, obviously you can overcompensate the other direction where just because your dad was the shoemaker doesn't mean that you have to be the shoemaker, Exactly. Um, but yep. there could be like a middle ground between those. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, and <clears throat> there's not, a, you know, obviously not enough time in the sermon to go into this, but you alluded to um, like the LGBT community mm-hmm. has for a long time worked in concert when, and a lot of cultural observers are flagging that that uh, that kind of cultural alliance is starting to fray mm-hmm. because the underlying logic of um, lesbian or gay uh, lifestyle or personal philosophy is uh, in sharp tension with um, some elements of transgender mm-hmm. um, philosophy. And you also see this with um like the modern feminist movement often being at odds with um, transgender activist arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's part of me that um, I, towards the end of the sermon, you talk about the church being kind of a safe space or sanctuary where you can step out yeah. from the hegemony. And I, and I also wonder if um, there's an opportunity to be a safe space where in the sense that secular groups are going to be, colliding mm-hmm. uh, over gender and identity um and so a place where there can be both compassion a clear biblical vision but also one thing maybe i don't know if you want to save this for later but i also feel like the idea of our fallenness and our mm-hmm. disorderedness is really important hmm. i really liked how you leaned into our creativeness yep um and that i found that really helpful so again, I don't know if you, if that is um, something that is that you thought of or sidelined intentionally, or if you want to save that for slim pickings, you can do that too. Well, I think yeah, let's go to, let's go into it here. So so it's just one of those one of those sake of time things, and if if we're created good, male and female, he created them. I think I think it fits to take a step forward and say that it's it would make sense that gender dysphoria on some level is tied to the fall where mm-hmm. where we're where where we're scrambled in lots of different alignments. So a, mm-hmm. a, Tim, a, a Tim Keller paradigm as it relates to uh uh, just a Tim Keller paradigm. He doesn't need to relate to anything. He's, he's the unmoved mover His when it comes to these are, things. Are multi-purpose, <laughs> right? So, 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 I think it's it's in his Ministries of Mercy book about diaconal ministry that he talks about. There are four levels of alienation from the fall. Let's see if I can get them off the top of my head. There is spiritual alienation at the deepest level, psychological alienation at the second deepest level, social alienation as we relate to other people, and then natural alienation when we're alienated from our creation. I'm going to be preaching about the Christian and the environment this coming week, and also Christianity vis-a-vis environmentalism. Got to tell you, it's going to feel like a vacation compared to the last sermon. It's going to, it's going <laughs> I love to be how fun. you're just going from easy topic to easy topic. Right. Hopscotch. <laughs> So, so I think within that, within that paradigm, gender dysphoria possibly falls on, under the category of psychological alienation. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think at the very least, so, so, so there, there is some research that says that gender is found not only in chromosomes, but also in neurology. And so it is, you know, intersex possible for somebody to have male genitalia 
but then also a quote unquote female brain that, that, that science mm-hmm. is, is still, I think is still in process, but I think you don't have to solve every psychosomatic question, but then still say there, there is, there is something to our fallenness. And if, uh, if I, for the sake of time, didn't go into the fallen part, I, I think that the resurrection of the body relates to, to the redemption arc there too. So creation, fallen redemption, where one of the, one of the vistas into the new creation that we're able to see for all of the complexities of gender dysphoria right now, we can look forward in the new heavens and new earth to a deeper and more holistic and healing realignment of such things. However, that would look, and I don't know exactly, yeah. but, but, but there is, but there is greater hope. Yeah. And I think even pastorally, I think I like the direction uh, that you took that too, because like the idea of our common fallenness, I feel like, um, you know, solidarity in our disorderedness is perhaps a good point to lean into with people who don't have, don't, don't have any experience of gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of your sermon from a couple of weeks ago about hammering down on um, sinfulness with um, the African-American ministry of Dartmouth. Oh, right. Um, and realizing like, you weren't there down, that night, were you? <laughs> that, no, I was not. Okay, <laughs> I, good. I, to hear was a really good guy. So uh, he was very patient with us. <laughs> dumb, dumb white guys. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I had no idea that, but true. Um, so, so, as we address, say, people for whom transgender is not uh, an issue, it can be helpful to emphasize, hey, your area of disorder and sort of psychological fallenness mm-hmm. and um, alienation may be someplace different, Yeah, but we all somewhere, there's, there's disorder. But yeah, pastorally and homiletically, um, I liked the leaning into the positive element especially since there's probably a lot of internalized shame or guilt or trauma um, based on criticism and, and excess Mm -hmm. negative feedback from, from people who have struggled with gender dysphoria or identify as transgender. Yep. That, that is true. And, and I think in terms of like moving, trying to cast some hope. Yeah. So like Matt, I mentioned the the resurrection of the body as as reason for for hope and time. I this was this was novel on my part, but I tried to connect the concept of Sabbath to some of these things too, where mm. we can right now seek to find Sabbath in our bodies, and there's a greater Sabbath rest for the people of God. I I think part of part of feeling like the pastoral toolbox is underdeveloped is there. Yeah, this past week I was thinking, how how can I actually make make a vision of a Christian and biblical view of gender identification? Like, is there any beauty here at all, <laughs> or is it just mm. like, you know, hey, this sucks. I'm sorry about it. Um, but 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 hopefully, casting a vision for uh, we can Sabbath within our own bodies, even when we feel the tensions of some of these misalignments. Uh, and I, you know, these are, these are two straight white guys talking. So, you know, don't, don't, don't take our word for yeah, what's, it. But... What's, what's better than one straight guy talking about transgender, two straight guys, talking, <laughs> straight white guys talking about transgender. Right. Yeah. So, so, so with those qualifications I'm at, yeah. Like, like how did those, how did those connections like land with you or what do you think? 
I really appreciated it because I think also, um, you know, the big fancy word being eschatology, but like living right. into the future, the Christian, the vision of the Christian future. I remember a while ago, I did a new members interview with somebody who presumably should have a fairly decent grasp on the Christian view mm-hmm. of uh, reality. And um, one of our questions was always, what is your hope for the future? And I don't know if the question was poorly phrased, but um, people would often be, uh, they would comment on, well, that God will encourage me through my life. And um, it was very imminent responses. That's when, a good what question. I was, what I huh. was fishing for was actually like living resurrected life in the new heavens, new earth together with God. Right. Um, and we are so imminent and so this worldly in our view. And I don't necessarily think that's, that's a fun, I mean, actually there could be a modern, uh, a modern struggle there mm-hmm. to focus so much on this life. Um, this past Sunday, we actually had a, a town hall and we discussed uh, a book of sociology by Christian Smith and Amy, Amy Adamczyk called Handing Down the Faith. Hmm. Um, and it was specifically interviewing American religious parents about their strategies for handing down their religious faith. And it was drawn from a variety, not strictly Christian uh, mm-hmm. parents. Interesting. So these are all religious parents and they summarized the worldviews that were expressed and the values that were expressed. Mm-hmm. And it was overwhelmingly that religion was primarily to have a good life and to make good moral decisions in the present. Um, and there was, a, there was very little vision of a future life, um, huh. which was quite striking. Um, you know, in their research, they circled back around to how, and again, they're describing what's in the air. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I pulled out actually in the sermon was the view of children and really of people that the idea that we're striving to live our best lives now um, and to experience the best optimal self that we can be. Yeah. So I, I pulled that out and actually one of one of our members who's a professor of Villanova. So he's interacting with college students. Right. It's like that specific language is everywhere. Um, he teaches philosophy huh. and theology classes. So, okay. so it's a more reflective set of uh, coursework, but he's like, it's, it's, it's a hegemonic idea. Right. And that, and then when you push back on it, his college students really can't articulate, like it's just ingrained and they themselves can't really excavate where it's coming from. But again, it's so imminent. Mm-hmm. And the Christian vision that our, our best life, this is actually our worst life now, if our hope's in Christ. Um, hmm. And yeah, yeah, we all struggle to live in the vision of the future, live in the, the vision of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really good. All right. I chuckled a little bit. Isn't Christian Smith the therapeutic moralistic deism guy from said that right okay so he's he, he's uh producing books that confirm his previous research about how yeah <laughs> the, the next, how american the self, self-described yeah but that that makes total sense i i think too charles charles taylor is a roman catholic philosopher that retired and so he talks a lot in his book a secular age about how Starting with the Reformation period, we have become increasingly captive to the imminent frame where Mm. all we have is today. And, you know, that relates to gender identification. If all we have is today, you got to get it right today. And then it relates, and I'll talk about this in the Sermon on Environmentalism for this coming week. If all we have is today, yeah, we maybe should 
like drop everything that, that we're doing and try to save the environment immediately. And not that we shouldn't care about the environment, but, but we are able to have a more patient and persistent approach and not a panicked one. So, hmm. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, often our liturgies are better than our thought forms and practices and behaviors. Like every week we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Let's live that out a little bit more. Yeah. That idea of liturgies too, you know, um, so before being in the main line, I was pastoring in a college Christian college community. And, um, I remember talking to, um, one of my fellow, uh, ministers there, uh, Anglican priest. And he mm-hmm. talked about how he had, um, some, um, students who were experiencing gender dysphoria and they were leaning into, kind of the very sort of settled liturgy of uh, his Anglican church trying to trying to figure out like these are the things that are familiar and that I believe but how do I how do I connect them with my experience and the the questions and the struggles that I'm having right now Hmm. yeah I do I do think it's striking that it's very easy to get caught up in cultural battles and yet the core of what we celebrate and worship is the person of Christ and his redeeming activity. Mm. Um, and there's not, there's not a um, gender line in the apostles creed. It doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't speak to that. Yep. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Uh, so do you, are you ready for bar band cover tunes? My favorite section. Here we go. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so you talk, I, I, we've talked before about how um, there's both high culture and low culture. Um, so I'll just run through some of the things that I caught you referencing. If you want to jump in and play with any of them more, um, sure. the box, feel free to do so. <laughs> so um, all kinds of uh, uh, French philosophers. So you were like speaking, speaking our jam. Um, <laughs> those who, those who know uh, our family, my wife is actually a, a professor of uh, French and yep. our family is actually, uh, our kids are uh, bilingual family, bi- bilingual. Yeah. Yeah. So um, next time you're over, they'll tell you how to do French philosophers' names. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> so Jean, uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, his confessions, um, had some Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, who's the uh, mid-20th century uh, philosopher, existential yep. uh, philosopher. Um, you had Freud, had Marx. This is like the greatest hits of <laughs> really uh, cultural philosophers, right? Um, I thought it was quite Cliched. interesting. You know, if you want to pick a different one, I thought your your engagement with Sartre was quite interesting because mm-hmm. uh, it definitely resonated with his idea of existentialism and personal yep. authenticity. Yeah. Um, and how that's most important and the outward inward distinction, he leaning strongly into the idea of inward identification. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you got into uh, the brutality of um, you know, the Nazi regime and, and Germany and um, th- over um, German occupied Europe, mm-hmm. it didn't matter how you identified, did not matter. Yeah, um, yeah. Striking. Also, you got uh, some Banksy. Right. Uh, I have not seen that photo. That's uh, the radioactive baby bottle. It's quite interesting. It's also quite interesting, a novel. I, I uh, again, distracted, but like 
knowing ancient medieval and Renaissance art, the idea that um, Mary was feeding Jesus with a baby bottle was yeah right <laughs> that's very modern <laughs> yeah yeah so so emily and i were in rome last week i for, I meant to look up the name of the church and cloister where, where the banksy stuff was but it's exactly what happened in like the renaissance and baroque period with art where all of these biblical scenes were were rendered with medi or late late medieval early renaissance like clothing and yeah right and and, and city cityscapes and stuff so yeah banksy banksy was uh banksy was fun um Matt, so, sorry, my brain was acting slow. Can, can I go back to Sartre for just a second? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. So, so, so the Rousseau, Freud, and Marx came from Truman, who spent a lot mm-hmm. of time there. And the, that Sartre quote came, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The Free World by a Harvard professor named Louis Menand. And it's a cultural history of the Cold War. And so mm-hmm. that, 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 that Sartre quote was interesting I know so it felt like corroborating evidence a little bit where it, it wasn't in one of the main texts that I was reading. And like, like I mentioned that when Sartre said that, Hey, you know, if you really want to be Jewish, you need to identify in inwardly that the, the ironic part for me is that was not his most well-received book reflection on the Jewish question, but yeah, what, not surprisingly. right. <laughs> what was, yeah, <laughs> you know, he's, Sartre is a pillar of the Jewish community, apparently, in the mid-20th century. And, and actually, he does have a very problematic history of, of Nazi sympathies, specifically. So, so he's fallen out of favor. But what, what was out of favor in one generation becomes, becomes mainstream mainstream in the next. And so hmm. if, Sartre, if Sartre was being consistent with his own existential philosophy when he made that comment about authentic Jewishness, but was laughed at a little bit for the authentic Jewishness comment that that now just sounds very, very normal and, and, and very real. So that it's not always that like, you know, and for, for an adolescent that like is wrestling with these things on the personal level, like he or she is not thinking, you know, but what did Rousseau say about personal authentic? But 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 there are these like deeper deep, deeper fingerprints on on this sort of thing too. So yeah, sorry I sorry it took took me a Banksy to get back to Sartre, but I'm no, sure they're no, no. sure they're related somehow. Yeah, and that led to uh, a Talladega Nights reference. Um, you, uh, you I, well, wait, 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 with uh, with <laughs> yeah. the Talladega Nights, she was sitting right. towards the back, but 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 I have visual proof that Emily did not laugh at that. <laughs> reference at all on did you Sunday get an morning. eye roll or just like the blank stare uh the, the got got the blank stare which which is its own <laughs> form of eye roll there's uh, she's a <laughs> uh, well there are even worse ways to reference Talladega Nights as sermons so uh yeah <laughs> downright down uh, tasteful <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think you mentioned uh, uh, Dune being released. I don't, I don't know that you uh, delved into that. Well, that was kind of referencing like science fiction and the, the sort of technology, the technology itself of technology. in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was a throwaway. Have Have you read Dune or have you watched the watched the movie? Yeah, I actually years ago I read the whole series. I, I'm a big sci-fi. Or That's right. Sci-fi I remember that. You have. Yep. So I read the whole series when I saw the movie was coming out. I wanted to go back and I actually reread um, the book like well before the pandemic. And then mm-hmm. like here, here the movie is now like two years later being released. Right. 
yeah. far later than planned. Um, yeah, uh, we don't have to go into Dune, um, but uh, it's not quite as good as Dennis Villeneuve's um, The uh, Arrival. Uh, okay. One, I think that I think Arrival is still better. It was funny. Rebecca and I uh, were watched the movie together, uh, and then afterwards, we were commenting how we liked the pacing. Um, you know, it was less rushed than a lot of modern movies. Mm-hmm. Really like how it's like Arrival, and then I I pulled up and said, "Oh, right, yeah, it's the same guy." <laughs> 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 yep, that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, did I miss any of your the, the uh, your references? Obviously, there's a, a lot of references to lots of things going on culturally that you mentioned. Sure, there, there's this good little book by Vaughn Roberts called Transgender. Right. He he was the Anglican priest. I I recommend that as a short book. Like short books are always limited by the fact that they're short, but for a mm. for an accessible primer that I think gives some good basic orientation. And then the NT Wright quote about nature having a habit of biting back made waves when yeah. he uh, I think surprised some some secular people by by saying, "Hey, I'm I'm actually not completely on board with uh with where culture is going in this direction." So that mm. that that was a quote that I think is interesting and then also had some had some play at least in the uk when when he wrote it yeah yeah you also I, yeah this was in the context of an example of uh, a conversation with somebody but you, you referred to jerry falwell and yeah, yeah his um his comments and i i thought that was quite striking to the extent that um you know the way in which somebody was internalizing you know i would um, I think I'm at the point where I would consider most of what Jerry Falwell throw, says as throwaway comments. Uh, and yet yeah. uh, word, words do matter. Right. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Agree. <laughs> uh, guitar slim pickings. You are, are you ready for it? Yeah, I, I, I don't have a ton here. The I, I think I think this sermon reinforced to me the whole preaching is dialogue idea. So whether it's Mm. sermon on Sunday, podcast, follow-up conversations, I, I am continuing to shift and thinking about sermon as a larger part of a communication ministry and, and the, in the local church. So I, I feel more comfortable on a Sunday morning, you know, and I want to be sufficiently clear where I need to be sufficiently clear, but then also I feel more comfortable occasionally saying, I, I don't know exactly about X, but let's talk more. So mm-hmm. it, it, it felt like a good instance of where I hope to be going as a communicator. Also related to the sermon being a little bit longer. And, and this is a little bit like nobody really, nobody really cares. The, there's actually an Eagles podcast that I listened to that begins, hello, welcome to Bleeding Green Nation episode 299. And the host always says, after he gives the episode number, he says, no one cares. <laughs> so <laughs> because, you know, nobody keeps track of episode numbers um, because the sermon was longer. And, and I try to, over the years, move to like skeletal notes and basic like memorization of, of sermons that that system failed me because the sermon was longer than usual. And it's also, hard to have that much info that you're trying to cover. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and also because of the constant rewrites, I, I was, you know, from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was memorizing different versions each time I sat down to, to, oh, yeah. to, to do it. So if, if over the years I've gotten better at like not 
exiting the pulpit thinking, oh, I forgot to say this, this, and this. This was one of the Sundays. So I meant to mention in the biblical bearings that there is a, there is a basic sacred masculine and sacred feminine um, uh, that like I wanted to talk about that a little bit, but then also disclaim about men are different from women, but men are different from men. It is a task of the church to continue to be nuanced. The whole Jesus and John Wayne thing, uh, where mm-hmm. as we think about gender, what's truly biblical and what's what's cultural accretion at the same time. Uh, so hopefully it didn't submarine the sermon that I forgot stuff like that to talk about, but it just would have made it even longer. Um, but right. next time, yeah. next time if I preach a sermon like this, I'll have to change my method a little bit, but yeah. 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 That's the, the kitchen. I mean, there's, there's so many different things that you could go into, uh, you know, because we do have a lot of, uh, competing visions of gender that don't you know don't have anything to do with transgenderism but what does it mean sure. to be feminine what does it mean to be masculine um you talked about like the coastal hegemony and there's a there's definitely a certain vision um in sort of elite eastern western uh u.s uh society and then there's like the reactionary kind of the middle heartland, america yeah. yeah heartland um quiet majority you know to use a but, you know, uh, a, a dubious Nixon reference. Um, sure. uh, and, yeah, those those are a whole bunch of arguments um, that are going on and things that people are trying to wrestle out, again, not just in um, their personal life, but also their relationships with spouses or mm-hmm. with family or uh, in their community. Um, yeah. Um, yep. One thing I actually, I wanted to, I, I probably should have hit this earlier in structure. I thought it was interesting that you like leaned into some very specific practical applications at the end. Sure. Um, and, you know, I like that. I did have one question. You, you, uh, you used the illustration of, um, you know, happy holidays and then Merry Christmas. And again, since I was watching this, there was a lot of arm motions after that. So <laughs> I was curious, like, what are the arm motions that you're envisioning making after you, you shout Merry Christmas at somebody? I, I, was, I didn't know if it was like a touchdown celebration or you like imaginary flipping the bird or. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, that, that that's a good clarification. There is so much winning. And and that's why that's why people should like watch the sermon videos instead of just <laughs> listen to them. So so I I, I was not doing a gestural euphemism for shooting the bird it was more just like so much winning double double reverse fist pump all the time so okay nice. yeah kind of kind of kind of like a touchdown celebration which i'm sure would be flagged in today's nfl because nobody wants to see players celebrating after they do something good obviously don't don't be happy yeah (laughs) no um yeah i thought it was interesting again because um it is something where I feel like it's helpful to give some actual specific and concrete guidance to believers. Um, and you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but, um, you know, my, one of back when we lived in Western PA, one of my son's best friends had an elder sibling who transitioned Mm -hmm. from male to female. And, um, you know, so, so I knew of this and he came over to pick up you know, my son's friend at mm-hmm. one point. And so I was in, in the back actually with, um, a, a guest from church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew of the backstory, um, and you're in that situation where you're supposed to introduce somebody, um, right. Right. So the guest. So, 
Um, I did not know all the details, but I basically invited the person to introduce themselves to uh, yeah. the person in my backyard. And um, it, that is one of those things, I, you know, it's very much like a Merry Christmas, you know, the, or the, the nasty edge, Merry right, Christmas, right, right. where, um, you know, if, you know, names are important to people, getting people's names right is important to people. And um, sometimes people can have playful, fun nicknames with us. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember, um, was it Sarah who would always call you James at uh, Dartmouth? Right, yep. Um, you know, my side of that is, uh, I think because of the actor Mark Harmon, people are perpetually calling me Mark instead of Matt. And, you know, it's the sort of thing where it's like mildly irksome, but it's not like I have, um, you know, identity dysphoria based around my name, which would like trigger, you know, if, if I did, that would be like pretty scarring. Like, why I'm, can't you get my name right? I'm, um, I'm Mark Harmon trapped in Matt Harmon's body. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that, yeah. That's in the DSM, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, something where um, when people present themselves and introduce themselves, um, yeah. we don't re- we don't rename them and we don't presume to kind of like voiced or like weighed into their backstory um yeah yeah i i that in what i read i didn't get a whole lot of guidance on a on the pronoun questions so that i'll i'll take the from our more from a a more conservative christian that that would disagree with that like i'll take the heat i didn't get that from anybody else but it just seems pretty Mm. pretty much like a no-brainer uh where Mm. Like, you know, call people what they want to be called. Like this isn't and and the the culture wars, you know, let's just exit the culture wars, love people, and uh yeah, let's let let's not be silly. And and in our context, Matt, even though Collingswood is not identical to mainline, mm-hmm. it's it's not like Christians don't have enough negative stereotypes already that we need to overcome for this for for the sake of mission. So why 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 do we want to keep like pooping in the pool? when um when there's enough turds yeah right (laughs) one one thing i and i do feel like where where do you want to pick your battles so i mentioned you know i i preached on transgender uh years ago and um i felt like i was being really patient and like gave the topic a couple years to sit culturally but yeah um the passage i went to actually was um i think it's acts chapter eight um the ethiopian, ethiopian unit. Unit. And I, yeah yeah and i know that there's a lot of i know that um people who talk about transgender would resist an identification of the experience of eunuchs with yep. uh, transgender people but i felt like that was really helpful because eunuchs come up in the scriptures regularly and basically flag that it's different than the transgender experience mm-hmm. but that the scriptures recognize that there are people in history who have not fit into the unique binary right Um, and philip when he goes and talks with the eunuch the eunuch doesn't tell him that he needs to be more masculine um Hmm. yeah that's really good directs him towards jesus and they're they're in isaiah and i don't know that there's any textual this is totally speculative but Mm -hmm. the um you know isaiah when he speaks to eunuchs um it's a, it's a vision of the future because eunuchs would not have been able to enjoy children. Um, 
and that was highly valued in ancient cultures. Hmm. And there's this vision cast kind of coming back around to your resurrection focus. Right. There's this vision cast of finding, finding your value and having a memorial in the future um, that you can look forward to. Even if you don't have, if you, even though you don't have the future you might dream of um, Mm -hmm. in in your present life. That's really good. Is that, is that Isaiah 58? Let not the eunuch say I am a dry tree or something like that somewhere around there yeah exactly that's great yeah yeah did you have any howling wolves that you want to uh dive into two two howling wolves one one related remind me if you wanted to email in comments or questions what (laughs) there's there isn't there a specific email address why why thank you post something blues at gmail.com so there there (laughs) there we go so much winning so so one one comes from yvonne related to related to the the sermon on sunday Hi, Jim and Emily. I have many thoughts that are better for in-person dialogue, but I appreciate this week's sermon having a balance of God's truth and how we are made, the complexity of male and femaleness, and the challenge to respect the image of God in all persons, whatever their presentation. As Jim gave the hypothetical situation of assuming a Black woman's identity, I had wondered, had you both read about Jessica Krug? I'm not sure if it's Krug or Krug. Um, I would guess Krug, but I don't know. Yeah. Last year, a white woman and scholar who intentionally presented herself to the world as a light-skinned Black woman all her career. This wasn't just appropriation. She actually did this, and she, she gives a link to a, to a New Yorker article. Yvonne goes on to say, I don't know that this is in the same camp as gender and sexual identity, though. Men and women of color who are light-skinned have for centuries hidden their Black or Hispanic identities in order to conform to and be protected by white dominant culture. To do the reverse, as Krug did, is offensive because it's building a career reputation or just gaining self-satisfying attention on the pain and suffering of an entire community. Hmm. I don't see gender and sexual identity as being the same, and as much as I'm hesitant to say so, I'm not sure that the example Jim gave is actually a helpful comparison. Uh, Hmm, I'd love to chat more about it. So I, I I think that's a really good comment. So in the sermon, I talked about how, hey, if I show up at a meeting of black feminists, Jim, we're glad you're here as a white male. And I would say back, well, I actually identify as a, as a black female. I almost cut that out. So, you know, some, some, there, there are some parts of sermons that you feel really good about other parts you cut out other ones are on that you're on the fence about and you end up leaving it in or not. So, so this is what I was on the fence about just because it did feel like a fraught example I, I went ahead and left it in for a little bit of rhetorical, like heightened rhetoric. Uh, I did try to allow that it was a flippant example and that it would have been hurtful to the room for, for, me, to, for me to say that. So, so, and I agree that, you know, ethnicity is, is not the same thing as gender and sexual identity. Um, my my perspective, at least on why I did it, and, and again, may, maybe I shouldn't have, um, I agree that it's apples and oranges between gender and sexual identity and racial identification. Uh, but that was a little bit exactly the point. So if it's apples and oranges, they're, they're at least in the same progressive farmer's market where mm. um, I, I, I do wonder about the larger category of, of identity construction where what's necessary for identity construction for one subgroup is completely off the table for the 
identity construction of, of another subgroup. So, mm -hmm. so the fact that it was, it felt wrong of me to apply one means of identification in one group to another. I think that's what I was trying to illustrate. Um, but it's, yeah, but, but, but these things, these things are, are, are really fraught. So, so I take to heart of on that, that maybe that was a, that was an example where to use it, you know, what I hear a lot on basketball podcasts, I, I, I'm not convinced that the juice was worth the squeeze on, on that one, but, um, uh, but, but I, I do appreciate, I do appreciate the dialogue there. So let's keep that conversation. Yeah. yeah go ahead. Yeah, pushback is yeah. helpful there because, you know, culturally too, you have two directions where some people are strongly emphasizing the continuity of uh, civil rights for sexual minorities with True. civil rights for ethnic yep. minorities. And then I think there are plenty of members of ethnic minorities who resist the identification uh, of those two categories. Um, so that's, again, that's a highly contested area. I do, you know, it, I think it, I can certainly see the, the um, resistance to that specific example, but it does circle back a little bit to the idea of like, what are celebrated communities and those change over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, fellow Dartmouth alum, um, Annette Gordon-Reed, I believe it is, um, mm -hmm. has talked about Thomas Jefferson's family. And, right. you know, he has um, many mixed race offspring and, some of them ultimately moved north and were fair-skinned enough to present as white. Um, but the flip side of the modern context, people are observing with regard to transgender identity, like rapid onset. I'm not getting the right name. Ra mm -hmm. Rapid onset gender dysphoria, right? Where girls with no previous history, I think it's often girls and often groups of girls are kind of all of a sudden collectively surfacing or expressing um, ideas of gender dysphoria. And again, mm -hmm. I think that comes back a little bit to what's being celebrated in the culture um, and bigger cultural questions about what does it mean for me to be a, a, a boy or a girl or a man or a female, a man mm -hmm. or a woman. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I agree with all of those things. And I think we're, it's a, yeah, these are these are complicated topics. The and and this isn't something that Yvonne was saying, but the last thing I'll say here, Matt, is uh, I or I'm not saying that this was Yvonne, but it's possible that one of the ways that I can read her comments is that she was sensitive to the power dynamic at play, where as somebody, mm -hmm. so for me, to use an example for for me as a white male to utilize an example of a subdominant group to illustrate a point, like like there is just something that kind of feels off about that. Like, am I overstepping, sure. am I overstepping my bounds? And, and maybe I am, but at a conceptual level, as we think about dominant and subdominant groups, I think culturally there, there is a sense that every, every subdominant group, every minority group needs to be free to construct their identity in their own way. And that form of identity construction cannot be assailed or critiqued by any other group. That mm. does make me a little bit nervous because that, mm. that, that's when I kind of go in like the death of culture direction <laughs> where if, if, if no group is able to say anything to another group about how, how we form our sense of self, like that, that, that's when we stop being able to have constructive conversations. And then it really does become power play. 
because mm, there's yeah. there, there there there's no dialogue so i don't know that's a little uh jumping off back into my tinfoil conspiracy <laughs> theory <laughs> last last uh last helen wolf uh so sharon emailed in last week with a great haiku and then also uh about third way she she didn't have a thought from last podcast about and and that you've you've uh your your you do have a thm your your thm was specifically in old testament studies uh the diet of the garden of eden was what you uh was was what you studied um so feel free to uh (laughs) so hate to be those people but the allowance to eat meat actually doesn't come until genesis 9 god killed the first animal right after the fall not to eat but to cover adam and eve's nakedness and shame not just for clothes obviously but to begin the practice of shedding blood to cover sin we were surprised to hear vegetarianism mentioned. We are vegetarian, not for religious reasons, but it is always looked at sideways. Really appreciated Eric's sermon and the postmortem deep dive. Especially loved the discussion of not just pre-fall cultural mandate, but the whole arc of redemption toward the Garden City and the pulling in of nuances of this form of Jesus Sermon on the Mountain Jeremiah. Good stuff. Miss Emily, though, and excited to have her back this week. That last part did not happen. <laughs> dun, but... dun, dun. <laughs> so... Thank, thank, thanks once again, Ray and Sharon, and uh, sorry for the lack of Emily content this week. It will be rectified for next time. It will be so much better next week with Emily. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm legally obligated to agree, to agree with that, but then also volitionally. But Matt, I am very grateful for you with the pinch uh, awesome. hit hosting this week. Yeah, happy to be there. Everybody remember to rate, review, and subscribe for Sunday Blues podcast. Tell us, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.